welcome to the back page of video games podcast i'm samuel roberts and i'm joined by matthew castle hello matthew we're joined by yet another special guest andy do you want to introduce yourself hello i'm andy kelly i'm a features producer on pc gamer which is just a fancy way of saying i write stuff and do videos occasionally <laughs> yeah. yeah andy uh, it's lovely to have you you're a former colleague of both myself and matthews going back years right so uh why don't you tell us a bit about your history in games media well yes yeah, it's, it's quite a good time to look back because linkedin just reminded me that as of like a couple of days ago it's my 17th year at future pl- oh, publishing wow. which is wow. <clears throat> was kind of scary seeing that written down and cold hard numbers but um i started when i was incredibly young i was 17 when i applied but i lied and said i was 18 but um that was just because i was like worried they wouldn't um <laughs> they would be like you're too young but it was fine yeah i started on uh psm 2 as it was at the time um which was a playstation 2 magazine which really ages me thinking that i started when playstation 2 was a contemporary console <laughs> um and from there, I moved to PSM three for to the next the next console generation, and uh, just kind of drifted around future. I was part of like a thing called the Game Studio, which was just sort of like hired guns. Like if a magazine needed someone to write about a game, I would be there uh, and an, another small team, um, and then ended up on PC Gamer. So that's that's the whole trajectory right there. Not many outlets really, considering I've been there for almost twenty years. Yeah, for sure. It's hardcore. So Andy's joining us on this episode because um, it's a Best Detective Games episode, which is prompted somewhat by the release of Famicom Detective Club. But also, Andy, I know it's a subject that's kind of uh, close to your heart as well, somewhat. Um, In fact, I think when I was your editor on PC Gamer, you may even have written the Best Detective Games list um, while I was in charge. I think that, that rings a bell. But yeah, that that list is still still going and still being updated to this day. It's because my it's my baby. Like I like to whenever something new in detective comes out, I I jam it into that list. So it's <laughs> still there, still exists. Nice, Andy. In your days on PSM, what were they kind of like at the, at the time? What was your sort of vibe on PlayStation in that moment? Were you kind of passionate about PS2 going into it? Yeah, PS2 was like. I mean, I used to be a Nintendo guy, and then I sold my N64 and bought a PlayStation, and that was that was me. The lure of disc-based media and FMV <laughs> and licensed music was was too much to resist. I was full-on PS2 super fan when I joined PSM, so it was really like a dream just getting to sit and play PlayStation games and write about them and be in a, a, an office with a bunch of people weirdly who I'd been reading for like three years prior so I, I'd gone from being a reader and getting to know these personalities to like sitting in an, an office with them which was like really bizarre feeling but like really exciting as well especially for someone you know who'd never really left Glasgow where I grew up I was suddenly in Bath with a job with all these people who are like pros and it was kind of overwhelming but like extremely exciting i have a very distinct memories of my brother being a, a psm2 reader and um i used to love the commentaries on the dvd because it used to be like all of you right just in mm. a room kind of talking over footage and i i could never really decipher who was who but you were definitely part of that group i mean i was a fan of that they were doing that a few years before me um or maybe like two years or something so that was another cool thing, getting to then be a part of those commentaries. And it was really like proto-YouTube. Um, people sat in a room and reacting to games. Um, it was just on an archaic format like a DVD, but people loved them. And it was part of the reason I read the mag, because the cover DVD was, was great. Like The official mag had the demos, 
but it was all very polished and slick. I liked the kind of fanzine bit more uh, rough and tumble feel of PSM and the, the, the sense of humour and they weren't as, you know, beholden to not being mean to Sony, like it was all a bit more renegade. So yeah, yeah the, the the commentaries were part of that. They were they were great. And someone's uploaded them all to YouTube. So they they oh, exist really? out there. Yeah. And it's weird hearing when I first moved to Bath I had a really strong thick Glaswegian accent like Rapsin bit. So it's weird hearing like this sort of timid <laughs> Scotch man on these uh on these <laughs> on these commentaries. It was mainly like sort of 10, 10 different people all called Dan being confused by Guilty Gear games <laughs> yeah. is sort of like my sort of memory of that period. Yeah, I remember uh, they were very like, if they didn't know the game, if it was like, you know, which was generally Guilty Gear or Romance of the Three Kingdoms, they, they were very like dismissive. So when I came in, I tried to like bring a bit of like, no, people out there like these games. So I'm going to be the guy that like knows about them. Oh, nice. So that that was my contribution. But I did like, when I, when I was a viewer, I, I did like, picking the weirdest games on the DVD menu and knowing that you just hear like two minutes of wry cynicism, which is like yeah. entertaining, but not actually useful for in terms of a review. But that, that was another thing. It was just so, yeah, so preempted YouTube and streaming in a weird way. And as in personalities looking at games and saying things about them. So that, that was cool to be a part of that, even though it didn't obviously reach as big an audience as some YouTubers, but I think it had a, a, oh. a good a good crew watched it and, and wrote in and were really engaged with it. With When it comes to the stuff that you were reading before you started working on PSM, Andy, what were your sort of like, I guess not influences, but what did you actually like enjoy reading when you were uh, getting into games? Um, well, I, I started, well, I used to, be, like I said, I was a Nintendo guy, so I, I was obsessed with um, Total Nintendo which uh, was like the unofficial Nintendo magazine. And I also bought uh, O&M, the official mag as well, but I I preferred Total. And uh, weirdly, I would go on to work with one of the um, team members on on Total and N64 magazine, Tim Weaver. That was another weird thing. At Future, I just kept seeing all these faces I used to see in sort of caricature form in old games mags suddenly sitting in front of me. (laughs) So that that, that never got old. Um, So but I, I just kind of went from those Nintendo mags and then started buying or uh, official uh, official PlayStation mag and just kind of that was how I ended up at, at, at PSM but yeah I, I've read games mags as long as I can remember going back to I, mean, I bought the first issue of Games Master with 3D glasses you know like way back late 90s maybe 98 or something so it's always been a thing. What I um, really liked about working with you is that I felt like like you say, you've been doing it for 17 years. We have this really sort of evergreen appreciation for games. Like um, you never kind of got cynical about games media writing. And I think a lot of people do when they um, end up kind of like leaving the industry and doing other stuff. What do you reckon sort of like behind that? What's your sort of, I guess, your vibe on video games? I mean, I've seen a lot of right. This makes me sound like an old man time. I've seen a lot of writers come and go who get kind of <laughs> jaded by... Um, <laughs> by the industry um which is understandable because it's quite an exhausting industry sometimes but i i, I just don't really I, i'm purely at uh, this again sounds like these are terrible things i'm saying but i'm in it for the games like I, i'm not interested in like the industry or um the technology as much i just like games and i like game design and i like that aspect of it. i've I, I rarely write about i never write opinion pieces on the latest industry developments i just write about games and fun things games do interesting things games do i I don't even really write many sort of negative opinion pieces because i feel like it's a bit i don't find a bit boring just ragging on games when you could sort of celebrate them 
I say, I, I, have, I have very happy memories of um, the time. I, I guess it must have been when you when when you guys had changed to PSM three. By the time I started, there was quite a long stretch where it would often be me, you, and probably Rory on Games Master, like in the games cage, <laughs> yeah. all playing kind of games next to each other. We had this kind of like cage where they kept all the TVs and consoles, and because we were all sort of staff writers or sort of section editors at the time. Um, we were doing like quite a lot of playing in office, and it felt like we. It felt like we spent, you know, even though we weren't on the same mag, you know, we never we never worked on the same mag. I feel like we kind of, you know, did work quite closely together in that weird little room. Yeah, I remember that cage. I was going to say fondly, but I just remember it. It was like a yeah, weird prison. But I always remember sitting <laughs> playing, reviewing brown shooters on PS3, and looking over at you playing bizarre Jap- <clears throat> like colorful Japanese cartoon games on on the Wii would it have been or the GameCube so I remember that like, yeah, it been, like, yeah it would have been would have been Wii yeah, yeah. I remember year, I, yearning to be playing something colourful because the PS3 era was was full of drab uh, lots of drab yeah. brand games I was often quite jealous of what, what you and Games Master were playing <laughs> I remember um, quite clearly like you guys playing Just Cause 2 and thinking oh that looks fun sort of flinging yourselves around the jungle and also a lot of time you spent or you because you did the playstation home column and <laughs> watching you be generally unhappy in playstation home was was another kind of lasting impression yeah they wouldn't let that that column go i i, I sort of suggested in a meeting once on psn3 that i oh, should i do like um vox pops and playstation home and that just turned into like over a year of writing a column every month and trying to find something interesting, but the people in PlayStation Home were so unengaged, they just went in there to like get free war hawk hats and stand around in silence. So I was running around like trying to eke some kind of entertainment. And a lot of those columns, I just made stuff up. People were saying because like I was going around asking questions and trying to get something out of them, and it was getting nothing back. So that's why a lot of my time in PlayStation Home was quite miserable. But I, I look back on it as a weirdly interesting bit of like sony history it was just like a really rubbish 3d chat room that was just so corporate and like and there's just like floating adverts everywhere and stuff it was just so soulless and bizarre like, yeah what what a strange thing it was something we talked about in this podcast a lot andy is the the ps3 generally and what kind of odd time that was for sony what was your sort of vibe on covering the psm3 as psm2 became psm3 i've admit i've i've, I've said this before and some uh, psm readers have been uh, slightly taken aback but i really did not like playstation 3 i felt like we got the worst versions of multi-format games so i was constantly playing blur- blurrier versions of games uh, rory on games master was playing on an xbox 360 it looked a- and ran a lot better um the hardware was an absolute nightmare to update the firmware. Updates, game updates took forever, whereas they were like instantaneous on Xbox. I think Microsoft had some like file size limit. So an update would be like 500 kilobytes on Xbox 360 and on PlayStation 3. I'd be plugging in USB sticks or downloading off uh, early internet, early-ish internet, like really big updates. So like that, the hardware... I just think it's an ugly looking console. It's so heavy and cumbersome and <laughs> I've I've got no I really don't have any love for the PS3 like looking back but I enjoy, I mean I enjoyed writing about it. Obviously I did it for so many years because um it was still writing about games which is my main thing but I, I and whenever I went home I was full on Xbox 360 all the way like I I used to love coming back and playing games on Xbox 360 and looking better and running better and just the the blades dashboard being a lot nicer to use and see so yeah, i was like a secret xbox guy 
posing as a PlayStation writer. From there, though, Andy, you um, move on to PC Gamer. Is PC a bit more sort of your natural home these days in terms of the types of stuff that you're playing on there? Yeah, I, I started as a PC Gamer before I even had a console. Um, we got like a Pentium 2 PC and I had uh, onboard graphics and no 3D accelerator, but I tried and played as much stuff I could on there. So lots of um, games that ran in software mode like Carmageddon and uh isometric 2d rpgs like Baldur's gate and all that kind of thing and adventure games as well which was i was obsessed with uh, lucas arts adventures and stuff so that I, I was always a pc gamer but couldn't afford a pc um after that pentium 2 became woefully outdated the idea of buying a new pc was out of the question so i just moved to consoles and so when i finally got a gaming pc um and then started on pc gamer i felt like I'd, it was a bit of a homecoming like it's what i always wanted to to be a part of the PC thing, but just was always sort of monetarily uh, stuck with consoles. So, yeah, it feels like this is why this is the format that's like right for me. I think now I don't even I don't only have a PS4 that I just watch Blu-rays on. So, <laughs> yeah, there's basically like eight games a generation that you need to play on PS4, and everything else can just be on PC. That's kind of like the vibe these days of games, isn't it? Andy, I was curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about how you think games media has changed in the time you've been doing it. feels like um, a lot of generations of writers have kind of come and gone. Again, I'm making you sound like old man time here. That's not my <laughs> intention. But um, what has changed in that time, do you think? Well, I think the um, the internet has obviously completely changed the approach to coming up with ideas and stuff. Like on PSM early days, it used to be go in the meeting room and sit with five people um, if you were lucky for the most part just a small group of people in a room who all know each other's sense of humor and tastes quite intimately just coming up with uh, apart from the the cover would always be commercially slanted because you want to sell copies but everything inside was it was a bit of a wild west it was just what do we find interesting whereas now it's more from my experience mainly working online now um not so much magazines although i still do write for pc gamer uh, the print edition but it's more steered by i mean i still write what i find interesting but a lot of it is like thinking about headlines in different ways to make people click on the interesting stuff rather than just putting it out there in a magazine um it used to be even more so before i started but when i started it was still very much a boys club with very sort of lads maggie humor like some of the stuff in the old psms i was leafing through some uh, recently i was like oh you, you could not print that today like nothing you know not like <laughs> full of racism but just like a bit um <clears throat> a bit kind of iffy uh tone wise um so that is a, a massive change now there's like more uh voices than ever writing about games and it really wasn't like that it was lots of very similar men writing about games um, back back then, like 15 years ago. So, and like with stuff like Twitch and YouTube now, like the voice of the etching words into stone with a chisel types um, is sort of diminished a bit. Where people don't, there's more places to look now. If you want to know about a game, you can watch someone playing it on Twitch. Some personality you like. Maybe people aren't as interested. Some people aren't as interested in like more traditional written criticism and stuff. So yeah, it's definitely. Now, between when I started in 2004, I think it was, it's, it couldn't be more different, really. Yeah, it's funny. Even today, um, when Mass Effect, uh, the um, uh, Legendary Edition trilogy, is the embargo just started lifting. And I think that the streaming embargo lifted before any of the websites covered it. And that feels like a sign of the times, that they're like yeah. comfortable with people showing the game publicly in that way before people write about it. Um, yeah, really shows how things have changed, I think. 
in terms of like the other stuff that you kind of get up to, Andy, you um, for I, what's the current status of other places to your uh, video channel? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that was my main sort of side gig for a couple of years, like three years. Um, I was briefly on Patreon with it and was being funded there and just doing it in my spare time. It's um, for anyone that doesn't know, it's like kind of atmospheric short films, all shot inside video games, um, set to music and with no characters. So it's kind of like letting game environments speak for themselves kind of thing. Um, and I, I really enjoyed doing it, but I got kind of burned out on the concept. I did something like 78 videos there, which is, wow. and every one is like a huge amount of work, uh, hacking the camera, taking all the footage, editing it to the music and, and everything. And it was just a huge amount of work and I just got burned out on it. So I've not, I've not done one for a year. Occasionally I, I dip back in and I did a Yakuza zero one just cause I really liked that, that environment. But yeah, it's, it's kind of just on hiatus now i think when the right game comes along I'll, I'll do another one but yeah it's been a almost exactly a year since i did a red dead redemption 2 one but um yeah it's just i feel like i just bled that idea dry there's only so many ponderous shots of you know virtual mountains that you can look at before the, the idea was then <laughs> okay fair enough that sounds like a withering youtube comment uh, that someone would leave on your videos <laughs> except it's the creator saying it um so yeah, other than that, you made a game uh, released on Itch last year, right? What was uh, what was that like? Have you been dabbling a bit with um, making a game over the years? Yeah, that was only a couple of months ago, actually. Yeah, I've, I've been using um, a, a tool called Bitsy, which is like a really accessible game making tool where you can just make, the idea is that you make a tiny little world just to be in. Um, you can move characters around, pick stuff up, dialogue boxes, and I just I thought if I, I try and push that limited system with its very limited color palette and small amount of pixels and tried to make like a sort of sci-fi alien inspired horror game so that was quite fun and it got quite a good reaction i feel like i squeezed more out of that engine than i've seen a lot of, of people doing try to make something a bit more epic but i'm that's i've thought i'm kind of still interested in bitsy but I, I tend to like drift away from things that i get really intensely into and then shift on to something else i think i'm in that transition phase now looking for the next um, ludicrous uh, time sink of a creative project to to lose myself in. Ah, uh, yes, men with side projects. I think it's called. Um, <laughs> basically, that's like every single person I know has that kind of cycle with the stuff they're interested in. It's even worse now with um, pandemic and just finding new ways to avoid gazing into the abyss. It's like, what can I distract myself with now? Ah, oh, I'll buy a synthesizer. Oh, I'll learn how to play the bass. Oh, I'll do this. It's just like <laughs> hobbies. Are like they've gotten out of hand at the moment. I think yeah. you've got quite a good track record, though, of actually, like, surfacing your creative projects. Like, you tend to get something out of it that you can then, you know, you put online and people can see and enjoy. You know, I, I, you've got a... You seem, to me, like, highly productive. Yeah, it, t- it takes a while. That that Bitsy game I released two months ago, I started before the pandemic. So it just... Things will linger, and I'll just get tetchy right. whilst they're sitting there unposted. So I'll like, just finish it. I can post it and move on with my life. <laughs> Yeah. I just delete everything in shame. I get halfway through it and I'm like, oh, it's a load of bollocks. <laughs> and I bin it off because I haven't made Red Dead 2 in Twine. Uh, you know? I do that as well. I, I, I've got so many binned projects and half-started projects. that So the things that do surface are like one tiny bubble escaping from a vast lake of failure. So yeah, that game is called Entity for people who want to download it, by the way. Um, I also can't believe that was only two months ago, Andy. I think that just speaks to how fucking warped <laughs> time is in um, Pandemic. Well, in that case then, uh, thanks so much for talking about your background, Andy. We'll take a short break and then we'll come back and get into uh, the subject of Detective Games some more. 
Welcome back. So, in this episode, we're talking about detective games. We're going to talk a bit about what makes a great detective game in this section and what um, also uh, kind of impairs a detective game from reaching its full potential. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff to go over here, but I thought we'd start, Matthew, with Famicom Detective Club, which is releasing, I think it's actually, as we're recording this, about to release, but when people yeah, are listening to this... It, it'll have been out for about a week by the time you hear this. Yeah, so this is um, an obscure but kind of well-documented um, collection of uh, NES visual novels that have never released in the West, right? They've been fan-translated before, and I've heard them talked about in places like Retronauts, but um, what's the kind of deal with these? And, and, and this kind of Switch re-release, um, is it kind of worth picking up? You know, it's it's kind of a bit, a bit of a deep Nintendo cut that people didn't expect to see, so, you know, that's kind of exciting in itself, you know, whenever Nintendo go go into the archives like this. I will say they've done an absolutely amazing job of actually updating them. They gave them to company called Majors who made the Steinsgate uh, visual novels so they've got quite a good track record but I'd say even by their usual standards these are sort of exceptionally well produced things I mean I really think by visual novel standards or the ones I've played they sort of sort of feel a bit more kind of triple a kind of within that space if that makes sense you know they're they're really really well animated there's a, a lot of um sort of side detail to them they've you know completely redone all the music there's just a, a lot more kind of going in them it's not the static art it's it's there's a real sort of sense of like life in it but i will say they do feel like games from 1988 and 1989 which is where the, the pair of them come from like they're very very old-fashioned visual novels they're very much the first attempt from the industry narratively i'd also say they're they're quite basic i don't know if that's because at the time the genre the the medium was in its infancy and storytelling hadn't matured they're quite simple and they haven't really done much to disguise that like it kind of feels warts and all in terms of localization nintendo haven't done like a big pass on this and punched it up it doesn't it doesn't like read like an ace attorney say it's very sort of straight into the point as an actual detective game like there's not much detecting in it it's it's very much a visual novel you just sort of move through it talking to characters the story naturally moves itself along i think there's probably only like three or four moments in each game where you actually do anything to further the plot or that you're called upon to kind of dip into what you know probably what we're going to talk about in a moment is there are so many interesting detective games these days that these feel kind of old as hell. Yeah, so I kind of got the impression that might happen just from the kind of reveal uh, that they did. But it's sort of they do they did look very nice, like you say. Yeah, I kind of expected this not to be Phoenix right in terms of complexity. So there's no sort of like gathering clues and stuff in the in this game. It's more just like talking to people. Yeah, you sort of talk to people to kind of move conversations along. And the, the weird thing with it is everything's controlled with like a, a sort of a sort of verb sheet. So you click talk, and then you click on the name of the character you want to talk to. There are some other sort of quite vague verbs like think or remember. And sometimes you have to sort of talk to someone and then think about that person to kind of further the plot. So, and it doesn't ever really explain that. You, it really does feel like just total trial and error. Like you're just going through doing every combination of words 
on other words. And it's like an even more abstract version of what you used to do with inventories and point-and-click games where you just combine every item on every other item. You know, here it's just words. It's very flat. Every time you hit a wrong answer or every time the story isn't furthering, the character will just grunt. So there are literally scenes where you hear a character just grunt like a hundred times until you do what you need to do. I'm kind of amazed no one at Nintendo thought, you know what, we should probably put in some cue lines here, you know, on the big sticking points, because this feels old as hell and not very pleasant to play. And I don't think it would have taken much to have added a couple of lines just prompting you, because the sticking points when they come are horrible. There's one where, you know, you have to ask a question and you get the answer and then you ask again and you get the same answer and you just have to keep asking them until they say something different. How the fuck are you meant to know that? That's unbelievable. You know, that's really ancient design. It's kind of um, kind of honking in that regard, <laughs> which is a shame because it's so beautiful. And like as a Nintendo completist, you think, yeah, I kind of want this in my collection. Uh, that's kind of a shame. Andy, is this on your radar at all? You don't own a Switch, right? So, um... Did these games sort of cross your sort of path at all? Yeah, I do have a Switch, actually. Yeah, I've been playing, like, quite a lot of Switch lately, I think. And I got a light, so I'm purely a handheld Switcher. Um, mm. I've been playing Phoenix Wright Trilogy on it, which is just a perfect fit for a handheld console. Mm. Like, been able to dip in and out, and uh, they, they look so crisp and, and nice on that screen. So, yeah, I'm, I've, I've been eyeing this one up, and I did suspect it would feel quite archaic and 80s. And also, the um, 60 quid price point makes my head spin a little bit, so... <laughs> Um, I'll wait for that to maybe go on sale yeah. in like five years or whatever. <laughs> they are like there's 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 odd moments where you think, oh, this has got a bit of that sort of sing magic in that they're quite old fashioned. Like the stories are quite low key in a way that I like. One's an inheritance dispute, like another's a missing person. It's set in the eighties. It's sort of set in quite normal houses and offices. It does the the idea of like a more muted, realistic set does appeal actually, especially a Japanese one like a. a yeah, I like kind of slice of life Japanese stuff in general. Um, whereas Phoenix yeah. Wright is is great and one of my favorite games, but it's so like zany sometimes. You sort of it gets in the way of the like detecting a bit sometimes. You want something a bit more grounded to yeah. get your teeth into. At its best, I say Famicom Detective Club reminds me a bit of you've got this like new wave of anime films which are quite like muted. Uh, things like Your Name, they're animated, but they aren't like amazing fantasy vistas you know, a la Miyazaki or anything, they're kind of, they're set in, like, regular apartments, and the artists have drawn kind of really tatty microwaves and things, and it's very satisfying to see someone animate, like, an old microwave, and this has kind of got that that sort of energy That too. sounds a bit like, um, something I like about Yakuza is that you spend a lot of your time in, like, really, like, quite drab, dreary, like, real estate offices and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, because more games, I mean, most games don't, let you just exist in a like a kind of relatable place it's always exaggerated or amplified in some way so when you see that in a game i think for me it really appeals yeah yeah well if you want to see like an empty car park this game's got quite a few of them and you'd be like yeah that sure is a boring empty car park um but i kind of like that (laughs) yeah i think i might might actually I might splash out in this, actually. I think I've got some... Oh, um, my God. I can't believe I won you over yeah. with a car park talk. I know. It really has. Like, it, I, I saw some art, a key art, and thought it, I thought it had some, like, supernaturally-looking stuff, um, but I must have just misread that. So the idea that it's yeah, more realistic... The, 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 the second game's kind of got this sort of strand to it about, like, an urban legend about a haunted school. So the whole thing is, like, is it supernatural? Isn't it supernatural? But the, the first game's very, like... <clears throat> 
very chilled and relaxed. So it's set out in a kind of uh, countryside, and it's it's mostly kind of the sound of like crickets and mm. the wind blowing and everything. It's, it's it's quite it is quite relaxing. I'll give it that. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick it up. I've got some trips coming up, and like it's ideal for being yeah yeah. yeah isolated somewhere and have a little mystery in your in your switch mm. it's actually like a surprise that the switch hasn't really hosted more of these games it feels like it's still the a weirdly <clears> an area <throat> where the ps vita kind of rules um i wonder if that'll change over time there's some good like story-led games on switch i've been playing like um tango tower is a good um fun detective game and it's got really nice art that's on switch and um over the alps as well which is like a kind of wes anderson looking um spy thriller set in austria like in the the eve of world war Two, and that's like all uh text-based and has some detective elements so there's some like good sort of low-key sort of slightly more relaxed switch games uh, in that regard mm. Mm. they're about to bring the silver case onto there as well right the suda game but andy i remember you not being that keen on that when you played it for pcg no. is that right yeah, I remember. I I think we couldn't get code or something, so I just bought it, and then I remember refunding it. I just found it absolutely, uh, willfully, not like baffling and weird in an interesting way, just in like a willfully aggressively, how weird and off-putting can can we be? Way I did not like it. Um, so I suppose then, in terms of like what the two of you for what your idea of a great detective story looks like, Andy, if we start with you. Um, to you, what do you sort of look for in terms of settings or um, types of characters, types of stories when it comes to um, detective fiction? Yeah, well, I'm fully uh, in love with um, 1940s Los Angeles weary detective thing, um, but like not so much the kind of slightly annoying, like parody way that people present that setting. But like, I read a lot. Of, I read a lot of um, books from the period. And watch a lot of films from the period, and like I really like, love that setting and era. So anything set in like the forties slash fifties in America with a lot of weary, sad characters, um, but not like in an exaggerated comedy film noir way. That's kind of my sweet spot for for detective mm. stories. And um, in terms of stuff you've enjoyed, like in the last few years, what have you been kind of like reading or watching that's captured your attention on that front? I basically I bought every Raymond Chandler book, and I've read them all um which took a long time but I, I read them all in order and got fully immersed in that and i read a bunch of james elroy um his la quartet and um watched a lot of period film noir so like that i, I had a, like a, a really deep period of getting into that stuff um, um but i mean outside of that i watched a lot of poirot i got the poirot box set for uh, my birthday which is like something wild like 18 discs of just sheer poirot <laughs> <laughs> and I got really, m- m- really madly into that, like watching one every other night and getting really into the that, that kind of Agatha, Agatha Christie vibe. Um, but other than that, I think most of my detecting stuff is yeah, is video games. That makes sense. What about you, Matthew? Your um, your specialty is more uh, Japanese crime fiction, right? <laughs> yeah, recently I, I kind of go through big phases with things, but this this is like one of the longest lasting phases. For about three years, I've been just sort of like destroying any Japanese crime fiction I can get my hands on. It feels like it's a bit of a growing industry as well, which is good. You know, it feels like kind of where 10 years ago you had the sudden kind of spurt of Scandi Noir. It feels like you've suddenly got the... in that There's a lot of like Japanese, Chinese, Korean um, fiction being in translation, um, which is good because like I've, I've like genuinely exhausted, you know, what is readily available and now have... Um, 
like Catherine imports stuff like X school library copies from america of things that were printed in the 80s so i've got all these quite tatty kind of uh, translations which aren't available in the uk they're very different like they're 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 a really different vibe to that kind of like 1940s thing i mean they're not really like character pieces like they're super pure about like the mystery and the mechanics of the mysteries they're often like impossible crimes or locked room crimes the detectives they're not like at least in translation and to my eye are not like amazingly charismatic you know that you know that they are series characters so you know authors have detectives who keep returning but there's no one like you know poirot you know or the kind of the film noir kind of private eyes they're they're just about like the puzzle element of it which some people find a bit sparse and like a bit hard to get into i think there's a game element to that you know it's kind of can you solve these quite kind of sort of strange puzzles? Um, you know, and, and that's that's very much a vibe which gets carried into like Ace Attorney and Dangang Romper. And there, there are, you know, Japanese developers who I think grew up on this stuff as well and have kind of incorporated it into their games. So, yeah, it kind of all makes sense that I'm generally into that stuff. But I need to read more of the classic detectives. I love James Elroy, but I, I, I actually haven't read any Chandler, which is shocking. It's kind of the opposite of, of these pristinely presented Japanese mysteries you're talking about, whereas a lot of Raymond Chandler stories and stories from that era um, by the writers of admission don't make sense or there's plot holes or like the, the mystery isn't really that important um, mm. as as much as the scene setting and introspection of the character. Like you, you often finish in like sort of the mystery won't have really wrapped up in a really satisfying way. Like everyone will be, you know, out of pocket or dead or sad, and it will just kind of fizzle out. Whereas, yeah, these books you're describing sound a lot more about like constructing a really um, beautifully presented and satisfying riddle to solve. Yeah, and some people are into it. Like I, I, I give them to some people, and and they dig that thing. Other people feel like the whole book exists just to serve the kind of reveal at the end, so it doesn't necessarily like stand alone as a like an interesting piece of fiction. You know, they're not necessarily things you can reread. You know, there are definite exceptions. And, like, what's interesting in, like, Japanese crime writing anyway is that, you know, you know, you have this kind of tradition 100 years ago for this very kind of, like, like you say, sort of riddle crime construction mysteries. And then they kind of reject that and you almost get a kind of Chandler-ish resurgence in Japan of private eyes and tired detectives and people who just kind of... Sp- that you know there's a there's a guy called inspector imanishi and he's his whole thing is he's like he always sort of waits he's always waiting to interview people kind of constructing haikus about like you know whatever scene he happens to be looking at at the time and they're much more kind of like mood pieces you should probably check some of those out i think you'd dig them andy they're, they're they sound more like you're kind of yeah that sounds that sounds awesome is there any like a lot of these books or is it like a yeah there's a there's a couple um I, the author's called the author of those particular ones is called Seichi Matsumoto. Yeah, they're much more like down to earth kind of regular things. And then, you know, you come forward like in the 80s, you know, you then get the resurgence of the old style kind of reacting to that saying, no, it's 
all about, you know, kind of crime as maths problem. And what's great about detective games is that there are so many different genres of detective story and a lot of them seem catered for by games, which is quite cool. What do you think makes a great detective game, Matthew? It, it depends what you, what you want. Like, there, there are, there are like, lots... I was looking at basically across all the games I like and I kind of like them all for very different reasons. You know, there are some which are just, like, good classic stories. Like, they're good mysteries. They just, they work, you know, on a purely narrative level. Then I think you've got more modern games which are maybe doing more interesting things like mechanically to try and like recreate the kind of vibe of being a detective. And then I think you have stories which are like just pure escapism and like games that kind of make you feel like how cool it must be to be a detective. You know, something like L.A. Noir, for example, that that game had a big effect on me. Just the like driving up to a crime scene and there's all the members of the public being held back, but you get to go in and... It's, it's quite exciting. Like, it's quite a good drama to that, I think. What about you, Andy? Um, is that the same thing for you, where there's like almost these branches of different detective games? Some are about pure narrative, others are more about the mechanics? Yeah, I think I went through a period of like being really hardline, like a detective game must let me do detecting and, and have interesting systems that support that. But I, um, that was kind of a brief period. Now I just, I'm happy just to be told a story and to experience a mystery um in a kind of interactive way and just you know having having had a reveal at the end that's satisfying whether that's just clicking through a text in a visual novel um is fine um but also if that involves lots of piecing to, together clues then that's also good like i'm pretty i think i'm pretty flexible are you into detective games sam um I th- somewhat the reason i'm kind of like asking you two about it is it's not a genre i feel like i know that well so um I sort of envy your interest in um, Japanese crime fiction, Matthew, because you've gotten so deep into it that you're like a genuine expert and you've you've kind of like <laughs> shown diagrams from the books that do allow you to piece the mystery together, which I find really interesting because um, I've read one Elroy book, that was about Dahlia, and I really liked it, but um, it felt like it was more about immersing you in the time period than it was, and also like the themes of the time period rather than it was about um, solving the mystery, which you could never really solve by yourself. Like, the book doesn't give you the clues to do it. But that's what I like. Um, I think when you play a lot of modern detective games, you can sense, you know, almost what influences different people are into. You know, like, L.A. Noir is so clearly... It's just, like, Elroy all the way. But then you play Ace Attorney or Danganronpa or whatever, and you get a bit more of that kind of, like, weird um, kind of locked room stuff. Where, Andy, if you, you, I think you, like me, are quite into the Sherlock Holmes games. Yeah, yeah, um... One of the one of those is quite high on my my list of of all time favorite detective games. Yeah, um, they're so. I was going to say the hit and miss, but for my experience, there's like one big hit and a lot of misses. Like this, I think those games are like really good example of having both uh, a satisfying mystery and a really nice sense of place, but also systems that let you mess up and accuse the wrong person which is like really bold of that game like not many detective games let you screw up the case and then choose not to know if you got it wrong that's the really important thing at the end it will say do you want to know if you accused the right person and and i always say no let me just live with the choice i made and you know i could have got it wrong but i don't know and i like i like that not knowing i don't think any other game has has done that 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 game uh if, uh, there's crimes and punishments. Yeah, right? crimes and punishments. Yeah, that's that's the one good one. That's that's got the hilarious moments where you can like not only you know accuse multiple people, but you can then like 
you can either like hand them into the police or not hand them. You can basically like forgive them. So you can basically get it wrong and then forgive them. And I always think that person must think like, oh shit, he thinks it's me. Oh, but he's forgiven me, so it doesn't matter. It must be quite a strange <laughs> sort, of fit, uh, sort of emotional roller coaster <laughs> to have, oh, thanks for letting me go and I didn't do it, but, you know, cheers anyway, I You've guess. You've got London's most notorious, uh, uh, famous, you know, detective known for being a, a genius, you know, get, getting it wrong. And you're the only person that knows actually Sherlock doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I suppose on that subject, then, um, if that is a game that gets it right, like what what is it that detective games can get wrong? What are the points of frustration? Do you think? Maybe like I don't mind visual novel style detective games where it's a lot of text, but any that don't let you do anything, like not even the illusion of making decisions or finding things, um, if it's all just presented that in a really neat uh, way where you don't have to think about anything i think that's where it falls apart and i guess you could say that for any kind of detective fiction uh, game or otherwise if a film if the mystery is just has no complexity or or winding paths or makes you you know red herrings it's kind of boring so i think that i've not really played many detective games that really um are like that but i think the less you have to do the less satisfying it is as a as a detective game uh, yeah, I'd say uh, a lot of the problems are just are more like wider problems with crime writing. You know, like just a bad story is a bad story. Like weirdly, like Ace Attorney, even though I really, I really, really rate them and I really like them, often they commit one of the kind of cardinal sins that it's quite easy to get ahead of it, and you you kind of work it all out, and that's that's you know there's no sort of surprise at the end of a lot of the cases because they're quite easy to get ahead of. But I think there it's okay because then it becomes about like trying to break down the villain you know there's kind of an obvious villain of the piece that you're trying to kind of whittle down with the testimony and that in itself is really satisfying but there have definitely been other games where i think oh you know i know i know what i'm doing you know it feels like you're working towards something you're you're like two hours ahead of the game that can that can be a flaw but that's a problem with books as well like if i'm reading a book and i work out who done it and then it is that person i'm always kind of secretly disappointed how often in, in these uh, japanese books do you guess who done it uh, uh sometimes it, it really depends from author to author because there's um the one i'm terrible at there's a guy called soji shimada who wrote um the tokyo zodiac murders and the crooked house murder in the crooked house and the murder in the crooked house is got it's truly preposterous i mean it, it plays fair it like lays out like all the information but there's bits in the in the story where it gives you like very precise dimensions of rooms and you think hmm why do i need these specific numbers and it really does come down to like you know certain numbers adding up in a certain way which is that's just a little bit too technical for my liking i think you know it's i i, I enjoy the that one i enjoyed the kind of the mystery was so sort of strange that i i you know enjoyed trying to guess and work it out but Actually, in the end, it was like oh, I, I didn't I didn't come anywhere near, so I felt quite kind of thick and stupid. And I guess games don't want to kind of like ever leave you feeling that way. The balance or the kind of conflict at the heart of detective games is being like difficult enough to satisfy, but not uh, but not so difficult that you can't do it. And I'd say like generally, people kind of lean maybe a, a bit easy with them. I would say. In terms of that specific subgenre of Japanese crime novels that you read, Matthew, has any game captured their essence quite well? Do you think? You know, some of the, some of the cases, uh, you know, to keep coming back to Ace Attorney and Danganronpa, are you know they could be 
like in those books some of them the the mad stuff less so the early ace attorneys like weirdly shutakumi's stuff is a bit gentler on that front it's more when the other guys come in like the miles edgeworth games that the actual murders in those games are often a little bit more complicated and often involve like not like murder machines but there's always moving parts that kind of if all this stuff happens at a very you know precise point in time you can murder someone in this quite unlikely way and that that feels quite true and that's that's the same in Danganronpa as well so I interviewed the developer of the Danganronpa series once and we and he was yeah you know he, he put his hand up saying yeah I'm heavily influenced by these authors they're almost so tangled that they're kind of you couldn't do like an Oberdin style game with those murder myths because they're so hard to put, you know, visually they'd be impossible to like pass. That's interesting. Um, I suppose then, Andy, for you, what do you wish detective games did more of? It's more of a personal taste thing, but I'd like more. I mean, speaking of um, Famicom Detective Club, I'd like to see developers leaning less on sort of gimmicky sci fi or fantasy or like magic detective goggles that let you see holograms. Um, and you know recreate the crime scene Batman Arkham style and uh, that kind of like just less gimmicks and like more forensic or like realistic clue hunting and like using your brain uh, in kind of more subdued settings because I feel like when I hear about like a new detective game and it goes set in like a fantasy realm of gods and demons I'm like uh, yeah that that's unnecessary like just set you know set the mystery somewhere that's doesn't distract from like the core story which is the interesting mm. thing a murder's like pretty spicy as it is yeah you know you don't also need a fucking dragon to <laughs> yeah. make murder cool or well, not cool uh, you know obviously um <laughs> commiserations to the murdered but commiserations um, <laughs> <laughs> no i i agree I'd, i'm actually surprised given like how many police procedurals there are on tv that go into like every you know discipline of police work it's kind of surprising how few of them have been represented in games there there aren't many games that go big on like forensics or like forensic pathology or the one that really stands out to me is like how how, how no games you know outside of la noir has really like attempted like the like proper interrogation and the kind of drama of the interrogation room which feels like quite a big pop culture thing because of like line of duty you know famously has these half an hour interrogation scenes and I'm kind of amazed no one's done something like more complicated with that. And it's not like a, a technical limitation because there's so many uh, great tools for dialogue now like um, ink mm. and stuff like that where you can, you could write really interesting uh, branching interrogations that can fly off in, in different directions so I wonder what the reticence is there if it's not a technical thing, is it just Maybe they don't think gamers will want to sit for half an hour and watch to a detective and a sweaty man going at it in a, a, a dimly lit room. <laughs> yeah, we- I sometimes wonder if it, it, it if it's a sense of like some of these detective games like they work towards this like absolute truth being the kind of the win. You know, that's what happens at the Ace Attorney. Like you one hundred percent nail them on it. Where you know, I wonder if like actual police work is a bit more kind of hit and miss and you just kind of wear people down and you kind of have to take all these like half victories and maybe it's like maybe if you actually did it properly it would just be really unsatisfying because you'd realize that how much of it is just like basically bartering people i may be like down on police works we've been re-watching the wire recently and so much of the wire is just like even when you've got a strong case it's kind of dog shit 
and you basically have to like thump someone into where agree they're guilty, which no one really wants to play. <laughs> no, I suppose not. Um, yeah, is, is there anything else that you wish that Detective Games um, did more of these days, Matthew, other than um, more interrogation scenes? One problem I do have with Detective Games is that I, I'm not, I don't often have reason to like replay them. This might just be like you know, if you write a great story, if you write a great mystery. You know, it has an ending, or you're working towards a fixed ending. It's kind of hard to go back in and be sort of be amazed by it afresh. So, you know, whether there's a way of you know folding in more like emergent stuff, or you get a bit of that with like what Sam Barlow does, where it feels like it's a little open to interpretation and kind of the route you take through the game will kind of change your perception of those characters. But I wonder if there's a way of doing that. You know on a bigger scale i'm not saying like every time it should be a different person who's done the murder but i do find a lot of them are kind of quite one and done mm. yeah for sure that makes sense uh, andy i was wondering what you've made of the um hitman detective level later this uh, sorry earlier this year and whether you um you thought there was anything in that dartmoor level that could be applied more broadly to like detective games yeah that, i mean that was a, a great level and i i'd watched knives out not long before it and um as i said watch a lot of pyro so like it hit a lot of my my current interests when I played it, but I didn't. Um, I felt like as a, as a, I felt like a like a fun gimmick rather than like an example of like great a great detective. Like the stuff I, I like the story, but the actual mm. finding clues and stuff was very much using Forty Seven's magic vision and like sort of picking out, um, you know, like a book that opens a secret door and stuff. Like I felt like it was a a beautiful piece of scene setting and mood, but like not necessarily like I didn't feel like oh, I should make a detective game. You know, it just felt like a <laughs> a fun like homage to the genre rather than like a mm. really killer piece of like detective fiction. I, I guess it's quite rare to see any detective story with those kind of production values, which is why like La Noire I think still like holds up and stands out as like. Because they because these stories kind of are like one and done by you know by definition, it's quite a gamble to kind of go oh we're going to have like a proper three D world and it's all going to be modelled and that environment in Hitman is a mate like it is amazing walking around and going into the crime room and seeing everything and and seeing all the body and everything and all the props and all the th- you know there's a lot of interesting kind of um, storytelling in the environment but uh, in most people like. I think there's a reason detective games seem to exist mostly in like the indie space. It's because they're probably quite hard to commit to financially. Yeah, that makes sense. And plus, yeah, it's that whole problem of you solve them once, then why would you replay it? And, you know, big publishers are more conscious than ever of like, how do we keep you playing a game for like 100 hours or whatever? So it almost mm. feels like detective games fly in the face of that a little bit. Okay, mm. good stuff. Well, that was, um, that was uh, some good deep chat there about the genre. So... We'll take a short break then and we'll come back with both Matthew and Andy's top five favourite detective games. section we're going to count down both andy and matthew's um top five favorite detective games which you'll know if you just listen to the last bit of the podcast so don't know why i'm repeating it really but (laughs) if we uh, we'll do our usual thing then of alternating um top uh top five lists so matthew do you want to go first and then um we'll do our usual thing where whichever whoever's got like a game ranked higher if there's any kind of crossover we'll um we'll talk about it when we get to 
basically the highest ranking on the list. I made that sound really complicated, but it makes sense <laughs> in practice. So, um, Matthew, why don't you kick let's, off with your number five? Let's do it. Uh, so, my, my first game is Last Window, The Secret of Cape West, the sequel to Hotel Dusk. Mm. Is that on your list, Andy? Uh, no, it's not, but I do love Hotel Dusk. That's great. Yeah, what a great game um, that is. Yeah, I, for me, this is not like mechanically a particularly interesting detective game, but this is 100% like the kind of the mood and sort of setting vibe that I think Andy was talking about with like the 1940s. Like it, for, for me, this story of, of Carl Hyde, who's this kind of private investigator, in Hotel Dusk, the first game, he goes to Hotel Dusk and the whole story takes place there. In this one, it's, he's kind of coming back to his apartment building and it's sort of... Uh, it's, it's, everyone's basically got like a week until they're going to move out um, for whatever reason. And so it's kind of like... Uh, there's a mystery to be solved in the last week of this building. A lot of Singh's stuff is massively like indebted to like US noir and US pop culture, uh, and but sometimes it's slightly kind of like it, not something's lost in translation, but it, it, it kind of changes or it has there, there's kind of a, a, a sort of some sort of weirdness can seep in. But for, for my money, this was like. The closest they ever did to that that really nailing that kind of nineteen forties. I mean, Carl Hyde is just the the classic kind of um, slightly kind of gruff detective. You know, he always looks like he, he's sort of like huffing that he has to do anything in his little sort of illustration. And all the people he deals with are kind of slightly sort of um, not sort of sad sacks, but they're you know they're all slightly tired looking and jowly, and they're not all like it's not a, a building full of like beautiful or like weird sort of anime characters they they feel quite normal and you spend a lot of time just sort of hanging out with them and chatting in the diner with them it's like completely straight there's like no weird supernatural stuff it's not kind of um you know twin peaksy which i think a lot of people tend to go with with the kind of the americana thing it's got this very like mellow vibe to it the actual mystery is really not very interesting but in terms of catching the private eye feel and what it's like to kind of hang out with people. I, th- I thought this was this was pretty special. I, I think it's like particularly potent because it's the last game Sing made. It's got this like weird air of finality about it because everyone's moving out of this building. You know, it, it has the whole vibe of the game. Is you've got like like one last shot to do something, and you know, which you know rather poetically is exactly what it is for Sing. Um, I put this to them actually after we interviewed um, the, the head of Sing, like a few years after they shut down, and she was just like, "Nah, that's a coincidence." <laughs> so, like, my wanky theory is like nothing is is, is exactly that, <laughs> uh, but I I like to think of it that way. <laughs> yeah, I was really with you there. I thought, oh wow, yeah, what an exciting like great angle on this, and uh, yeah, no <laughs> yeah. Uh, no interest whatsoever on that. Uh, no, one. it's always the risk. I mean, she was like, she was like, oh, that's true, you know, but it's just a coincidence. She wasn't like you know, get out of here, you asshole. <laughs> you know, she, was, she was quite nice about it. <laughs> uh, is um, Hotel Dusk also on your list, Matthew, or is this the only... Um... It isn't. No, I picked this one. I, I just prefer the... Like I said, there's this sense of an ending to this one. Hotel Dusk is cool, but it's a bit more... It's a little bit more abstract, I'd say. It probably has a bit more of that kind of sort of slightly strange sort of Twin Peaksiness to it, um, where this one, I think, it just it just... Everything's so straight. It's like borderline boring, which is a really interesting space for like any game to be in. <laughs> uh, what's your uh, take on this series then, Andy? This feels like uh, very much your sort of thing in terms of subject matter. 
Yeah, I never played um, Last Window, but yeah, I've played Hotel Dusk a couple of times. Um, yeah, really, again, it's my yeah love of like a sense of place and a vibe of a actual story because I probably couldn't tell you what happened in, in Hotel Dusk, even though I finished it, but I remember <laughs> that hotel and those scratchy pencil-drawn characters and the music, especially what an uh, incredible soundtrack. Um, mm. I remember that stuff so vividly, like my time there rather than like what happened there. That's kind of Sing's vibe, I think. It's just like a, you know, a memory of a thing. It's, uh, they're a great studio. What a sad, what a sad ending for them. Of all of the uh, games that we've talked about in this podcast, Matthew, I, th- I feel like this comes up what the most frequently in terms of um, you know people going, oh yeah, I remember that, or oh I should pick that up on eBay or whatever. So clearly, the first yeah. time we talked about it, you really um, captured people's imaginations. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just I, like uh, I don't know. Just sing with there the whole time that we were. Do- I just associate sing with Endgamer. You know, we shut down a little bit after they shut down. I don't know. I just kind of our fates feel slightly intertwined. But again, that's just me being wanky. <laughs> I see. So, <laughs> so you're imposing your uh, Endgamer experience on this game. You were like, oh, it's... I basically am Kyle Hyde. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, okay, I see. Um... Um, I I would say I am. At least as iconic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so would I. I think I'd go along with that. Um, yeah, good choice. I, uh, I I own this and uh, we'll play it at some point. Sorry, people say that I um, I mention that on this podcast all the time. That's a phrase I use all the time, and um, it was on that bingo card. I, I believe. Yeah, uh, Andy, we're feeling we're feeling quite seen this week because our listeners put together a bingo card. I saw that on Twitter, <laughs> and it's like devastatingly accurate. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to say. This has something energy, because <laughs> I say that all the time. Yeah, I'm particularly conscious of um, of certain things this week, so I'm being more timid than I normally am hosting this podcast, because I'm just about to fall into my own traps over and over again. This is um, what the listeners have done to us. They've completely derailed the podcast. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've ruined the thing they love. Um, Andy, why don't you go with your number five? Uh, my number five is uh, Blade Runner, the Westwood adventure game from Ooh. 1997, um, which is very much an example of a game that I remember as like drawing me into a place and making me feel like a kind of loner detective. Um, You spend a lot of that game just running around futuristic Los Angeles alone in the rain, um, you know, picking up scraps of like material that might be a clue, like an hour down the line. Like it's very, it's, it's not so much like a detective simulation in terms of systems. Um, it's more like a point-and-click adventure, but you can... It's very timing-based and clue-based, so you can... You path through the story, although of the overall arc is quite linear. You can take really different routes through the story by the clues you find and the, the questions you ask and the, the people you put the Voight-Kampf machine on to, to find out if they're a replicant. Um, this is like... It's, it's set in the same universe as the film um, but it's a different story and it's a a story that's happening at the same time as the story from the film so you occasionally see traces of Harrison Ford as you go around doing your own Blade Runner stuff but it's um, it's kind of just like a way for you to play the film because it's all the same locations, hits a lot of the same story beats has the same music, you meet the same characters including a lot of the cast from the uh, film who reunited to, to play their characters in it so yeah, it's like just a really great mood piece. Like it's uh, mm. pre-rendered backgrounds, um, uh, looping, you know, animated backgrounds with neon neon signs and rain, and with sort of like three D voxel characters in front of it, which looks kind of strange. But like it really is one of the most like textured, 
uh, tactile games I've played. Like it, you really feel like the grime and the the, the wet of that you know that movie mm. setting I, I love this when i was younger it used to really stress me out though because i'd played you know i was obsessed with point and click games like you the LucasArts stuff but i i could never really get my head around the time element of blade mm. runner because wherever other point and click game the same thing happened every time here i was like i look it actually took me quite a while to work out what was going on i was thinking like wait this didn't happen last time well this seems different because it has a bit of action in it as well where you could like shoot people and i remember finding like getting quite stressed out by not really understanding how to properly play this i don't think i've ever got a good ending to this game yeah it's really arcane and confusing and i, I never really finished it and understood it till i was an adult like i played it loads when i was younger and couldn't just loved it as a, a mood thing but didn't actually understand it but i finished it i did a i wrote a reinstall a retrospective for a pc gamer on it and finally just finished it and saw the best ending and like got my head around its weird approach to design and yes it really holds up and there's a a randomized element as well where certain characters are replicants um each playthrough so in one playthrough i didn't know that i just thought it was like timing based yeah no there's there's quite a lot of randomized elements including like and there's a scene where you meet tyrell who's like if you don't know the movie he's the guy that creates these replicant humanoids and um, Delicious crisps as well. <laughs> Isn't that a crisp company? Uh, Tyrrells. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, there's a scene really where you, nice. you meet him and his assistant, and it's um, she's played by Sean Young in the movie, and they got Sean Young, Sean Young back to play her in the game, and like you can miss that scene, and it's a really rare scene as well. I've played it a few times, and like that scene doesn't drop to use modern parlance for randomize things and like so it's so weird that like they would hide they would get wow. this actor back to play this sort of iconic role and like it's a randomized scene that you probably won't see like nine times out of ten you won't see it so it's full of stuff like that and it is very opaque um mm. it hides a lot of what's going on in the background even though it's probably quite simple and it, that makes it feel it gives it that same sort of mysterious feeling as the film which i really like the way it captures the vibe of the film is amazing. Like the, uh, it is sometimes just the novelty of seeing a bit more of that world or a different camera angle to a place, a location from the film. Just really stunning in that respect. Uh, and a really weird game for '90s Westwood to make. That's what I always think yeah. is strange with this one. This is like the C and C people making it, right? That's. Um, did they make anything else like this, Andy? That you know of? No, I think. Yeah, I think other than Command and Conquer and the Dune games, which were also RTSs, I think this was their only like. I might I might be totally wrong here, but I'm pretty sure this was their only kind of cinematic story type game, and they really pulled off something amazing with what they had. And it, I think when it came out, it was you know the Blade Blade Runner as a film was old when this came out um, already, and like it's super old now. But even then, it was like '97, uh, I think the game came out, and obviously the film came out I think '86. So there was a good uh, maybe a bit later, but there's a, like a gap there. So. It was almost like mm. a nostalgia piece then, and now it's like triple nostalgia because so much time has passed. But Between this and Alien Isolation, you've got a big thing for RTS teams that knock out amazing love letters <laughs> to films you're big into. Wow, that's the first time I've, I've, I've drawn that connection. But yeah, what is, what is it about? Are all RTS developers secretly wanting to make like really moody atmosphere pieces based on Ridley Scott films? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh now i've got to get like um relic to make a game based on really scott's legend or something um see if that they're like up. we're making a film based on nicholas cage film matchstick men <laughs> 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 at last <laughs> uh, 
That's a good choice. Um, that's available on GOG as well, right, Andy? And they're working on some kind of enhanced edition at Night Dive Studios, I believe. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think I think that yeah, it's on uh, GOG now and it, it runs great. But I think from last I heard, they've like they've put it on hiatus because they couldn't find the source files or they couldn't make it work or, or something. So um, don't hold out for the the remastered one. Um, just play the original and like it's low res but that only adds to its kind of grimy textured feeling like i think it still looks great even at 640 by 480 or whatever it is mm-hmm. okay great stuff great choice uh, what's your number four matthew uh, my number four is ace attorney trilogy is there uh, any of these games on your list andy nope okay. oh there we go um yeah i mean, obviously i've cut you know i mentioned in the last section that i feel this kind of dips into you know the kind of the, the 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 more kind of Japanese crime traditions of of the kind of slightly outrageous uh, sort of murder methods. What I like about this is like it's a rare game where like uncovering the villain, like a lot of emphasis is on uncovering the villain and the satisfaction and the drama of like unveiling them. I absolutely like adore the kind of ends of these trials where the person who's always super obvious that they're the baddie you kind of break them down and then they kind of explode into their real form. I mean, it's the kind of, you know, it's one of my favourite things in general, like in, in like film and TV detective things is the is the, the big reveal and the moment where you kind of smash the person down and they do their big kind of, you know, they suddenly turn on the spot and do their big monologue about how much they loved murdering their mum or whatever. Um, <laughs> this kind of really ticks that box. It's, it's kind of the drama of the detective story rather than necessarily a good detective game. If anything, I'd say the investigation section of Ace Attorney is kind of duff. Like, I don't really enjoy it much. Like, I really like the court stuff. The the detective, the, the stuff in between is quite drawn out. But, yeah, just for the sheer kind of flamboyant drama of it and people really, like, dining out and, you know, big, big sort of scenery chewing, I, I think this is this is about as good as it gets. So, Andy, have you played all of these now in the uh, trilogy? Um, I've finished the first one. Um, they're, they're so long, like surprisingly yeah. long. But I, I, I don't mind the, the. They're so entertaining that I'm not like wishing them, willing them to end. But yeah, I've, I've finished one, and it took more than I expected. So I'm taking a nice big break before I start on the second one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good idea. That's wise. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've um, played all three of these, and um, yeah, I think that. Well, I've not completed the third one, but the first one is definitely better than the second one. And Matthew, yeah. you're you're. The definitive take on this really is that the third one is the highlight of the series, right? I think, yeah, dramatically, but it needs the first two to kind of work so that they really does exist as a trilogy. It's it's quite hard to separate them, but the the second one's slightly weaker, but then the the payoff in the third is great. Um, I think if you were to play just one of them for like the sort of ingenuity of the actual like murders themselves, I actually think the sixth one is probably the best in terms of case construction which is kind of weird because it's not a Shutakumi one at all. You have nothing to do with it. That's Spirit of Justice, one of the 3DS games. Like, I just think the cases in that game are, are, are pretty good. Like, they're quite hard to predict. They're quite hard to sort of second guess. And it's, it's, it's probably the only Ace Attorney where like, the twists in the case like, actually landed for me. But I don't think that takes away from the trilogy, which is definitely better written. And um, it's got some great characters. Um, it's, it really annoys me that the 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 film adaptation of this by um oh what's his name he's the guy who does like he does like 20 films a year the japanese director um directed like audition um isn't that uh, takashi miike Mm, um 
he did a live action adaptation of this, which I really am not into. Like it's it's quite messy and all over the place, and it really bugs me because I think there'd be a, a re- I think there'd be a really entertaining, big, shiny live action version of this somewhere. If Hollywood gave me a million, a hundred million dollars, that's what I'd make. <laughs> What's your number four, Andy? Oh, we've lost them. Uh, my number four is Paradise Killer. <laughs> nice. Did Ooh. that make your list, Matthew? It didn't make my <laughs> list. Almost did. Mm, Slammed his yeah. fist on So actually, this desk. is quite interesting, Andy, because we talked earlier about um, the idea of detective games not having these quite like outlandish uh, settings, and this one definitely <laughs> yeah. does. Oh. So um, what is it about this game setting that makes it um, compelling to you as a a framework for detective story yeah that that was my sort of biggest hurdle with it like i i bought it basically based on the art style which i i've immediately fell in love with and when i started playing it it's this kind of bizarre island filled with um outer space deities and weird characters with outlandish personalities and a strange like mythology and demonology and all this weird stuff going on and like initially i think that a lot of people i know stumbled with that stuff and i I just persevered with it i was playing on switch which was a perfect format for it again as a detective game but once i don't know once i pushed through that i i've really got quite compelled by the weird mythology of it all once you cut through that it is just like a, a good mystery um with a clear kind of um a clear structure and stuff so if, once you've got your head around the, the bizarreness of it you can just focus on the actual mystery which is just a good um kind of process of uh, interrogating people and finding clues and stuff but what what really i love about it is that it's an open world detective game and i can't think of any other um mm. examples of that where you've got this whole island and it's absolutely heaving with clues um that are kind of logged in your personal assistant but like you can go to trial at any time and so you can if you think you've you know you could thoroughly explore the island and think that you found everything and i did i did that and i went to trial and i got a really unsatisfying outcome where like someone i really liked um i sent you know sentenced to death and it just didn't the the the, mystery, the story even though the judge accepted my version of events it just never sat right with me so i reloaded my last save and explored the island some more, like really got really deep into every corner of it. And I found one room that completely changed the entire, my entire version of events. Like it disproved everything that I put in court and revealed what I think is like the truth of what happens in that game. And it was amazing that just one little clue could rewrite Mm. the entire case and then i went through i went to trial again and it was a much more satisfying outcome and the person i thought was the culprit got executed instead of my buddy and it just you know i I (laughs) love how open-ended that is like that's really like brave game design to like let you just you know go out there on your your own kind of at your own pace and you can easily just screw up and get like a really unsatisfying ending and that's fine I would say this one's like impressive. It leaves you like impressively off the leash by detective game standards. It's a bit of a gamble. Mm. I found it very overwhelming in the way that Andy kind of outlined there in terms of uh, the sort of terminology they use in universe. I found very like, oh, wow, I'm not even sure I'm smart enough to wrap my head around this before I can <laughs> even conceptualize what the mystery is. But I did like it. I did love its confidence as well building. And it's kind of like, dreamcasty um flower sun and rain style aesthetic um mm. that's just such a powerful kind of like win in its corner i've got this on switch and i will um 
I will hammer through it at some point. It did. Um, I think yeah. if I played it, I sat at my desk on PC, I wouldn't have spent. I wouldn't have given myself to it as much. Whereas playing it on Switch, like um, say lying in bed or on the sofa, I I felt more like equipped to sort of give time to learning about the mythology and the weirdness. Whereas if I was sat at my PC, I think I'd be more impatient. So I think it's a case of a a game being improved by being handheld. Mm. Yeah, it happens quite yeah. a lot these days. Yeah, it's uh, the one thing I would say about like I I love the structure. I think you're right. Like the the way the clues are spread out and the way that like what clue you find first can completely change your perception. Like right up to the end, you keep flip flopping, and you know the the story is amazingly well constructed in in that regard. I'm not. I would say I'm not 100 percent sold on like the the kind of trial structure at the end. Like like you get you know like 10 hours or whatever of exploring, and then there's this like big kind of dump of narrative at the end and that is the only way it can really work with this particular story that that is just the cost of having this open world structure to it in that it, it needs to it needs to kind of build itself in that way but you know it's it's this is like a classic uh, you know I, I wish there was a more to be done in that world or a way to kind of return to that world because i feel like i can't really play it again yeah i agree with it i think the trial is the weak point in terms of how it's structured because a lot of it is kind of just told to you whereas i'd love to see a game if they did a sequel i'd love to see the same open world clue gathering structure but with like a really good phoenix wright style showdown mm. at the end i think that's the one thing it missed and i i, I interviewed the developers and um, i wrote a making of feature on paradise killer um because i just got so obsessed with it, i just wanted to talk to them for my own amusement so i thought i better you know find an excuse to do that and like they said that the um trial stuff as far as I might be getting this wrong, but I think they said the trial stuff wasn't, it was kind of last minute in a way, or like I think they had an idea of how the story would end, but they changed it very quite late on. So maybe it, the way right. it feels as a result of that, but um, it felt like the, the development process was quite improvised and um, quite experimental. And it, I think that has resulted in a lot of positives, but maybe some negatives mm. like that trial not being quite as compelling right. at the end regardless it is like an amazing debut for that team like they are now instantly on my radar for whatever they do next mm. and the music as well is incredible like one of oh the best soundtracks God. of of in in like 10 years i'd say like yeah up there. yeah really absolutely incredible. brilliant mm. great stuff so what's your number three my Matthew? three is disco elysium on your list daddy uh that's my number three as well oh. perfect <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's do it then. So this is like the big game of the moment. I mean, basically, like these two games, sort of like uh, the last two games we discussed, so this and Paradise Killer, are the kind of like modern faces of this genre. To seemingly, anyway, from how I see people talk about it on social media. So, um, Matthew, why don't you kick off and tell us about the impact it had on you? I must admit, like I was a bit nervous about Disco Elysium because you know it's this incredible like mega brain of a game and. A lot of the stuff I'd read and heard about it, and the way people talked about it, I thought, "Is this going to be a bit too like chewy and intellectual for me?" But actually, I what what surprises me about it, and I don't think it gets talked about as much as some of the other ideas in it, is that it's this really dense mystery. Like, just the mystery at the heart of it is incredibly satisfying to unpick. You know, there's an obvious sort of start to it, and there's the kind of the the the, the kind of key through line that kind of takes you through the game. But really, what amazed me was like how many of the side quests, how much of the world, all kind of folded back into the sort of central mystery towards the end. I mean, there was stuff I thought, oh, this can't possibly be related. And it kind of was. And 
I, you know, I just thought it was a bit of mystery writing and a bit of mystery construction, which it didn't really sort of sell itself on particularly. You know, it was it was more about these sort of bigger ideas going on there. But like just as a genre piece, I think it's, you know, amazingly well done. Um, and I love that the it's like an RPG built on like police detective like tropes. You know, there's different kinds of cops. And it kind of leans into the kind of, you know, you can be the kind of Holmesian kind of sort of super sleuth, sort of genius. You can kind of visualise everything, you know, or you can be the kind of maverick cop who kind of goes in with the fists or someone incredibly charming. I'd, I felt it lent into like so many different kinds of detective stories and they, they all sort of held up. But, you know, there's obviously a lot more to the game and I kind of, I don't know, I feel like I ignore a lot of its strengths to focus on the thing I like, which is, you know, I was just happy with it as a detective RPG. Like, all the stuff about the kind of, maybe like the politics of the region or whatever, I didn't really, like, wasn't really my cup of tea. So, yeah, I don't know. How did you feel about this one, Andy? Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, since we both picked it at the same slot, my, my angle on it is exactly the same as yours in that I was... I found the history and politics and stuff interesting, but it wasn't why I was there. Like, I was there for the complex sort of labyrinthine mystery, and, like, it really delivered there. It really reminded me a lot of, of Raymond Chandler novels, actually, in that you'll have, like, one event, a crime, and you'll have, like, five different groups of people who are all misleading each other um, in ways, like, so that you're trying to thread you've got like a tangle of thread and you're trying to like follow them all to a point of truth and like there's so many people in disco elysium that are trying to mislead you or trying to lie about the fact that they're the culprit to protect someone else and all that keeps stacking mm. up and I, I found that trying to untangle that mess of of lies and contradictions was yeah like like you said not often written about i think i think people a lot of people fall in love with the it's kind of uh, wild, uh, artistic, political leanings, but I think, yeah, the, the actual mystery is like super dense and satisfying. Yeah, like if 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 you do go down the route of of having like a detective who's, you know, great at like computing and logic, you know, just some of the descriptions of the scenes where he breaks them down. Like there's one where he talks about all the different shoe he sees all the different shoe sizes mm-hmm. around like a hanging, and then deduces all this stuff. Like that writing is better Sherlock Holmes writing than you get in any of the Sherlock Holmes games and it, and it's just one variation of that character you may not even have that skill you may not see any of it there's so much good good detective stuff in this um I actually really like the ending as well I really like the, the what, mm. what the mystery was about because I know some people are a little down you know we're not going to spoil it here obviously but I, I actually thought it saw it through to the end and I was quite content yeah I can see why some people might feel that the ending sneaks up on them a bit but I think it all it doesn't feel like it's just pulling the rug out from under you for the sake of it. It all ties in thematically and there's, mm. a, there's a logic behind everything. And but yeah, I, I played it as like, I don't know, my last playthrough, I played the final cut, which is like a, a the, the latest release of it, which adds full mm. voice acting and a bunch of new stuff. Um, I played it as super heavy on logic and visual calculus, which are two of the skills in the game. So my, my guy was like, like you said, like amazingly observant and, uh, like the autopsy scene is like one of the most disgusting pieces of writing I've ever ever read because he's like <laughs> talking about this this or horribly decayed body in such a matter of fact way that I, I found it really re- re- repulsive but in a kind of strangely compelling way. But yeah, I, mm. I, I think my first playthrough was more of like a um, instinctive. Um, I've had a lot of points in my inland empire skill, which is like a lot of um, tuning into like dream logic and the envi- and the environment and, right. and stuff. So like. That first playthrough, I, 
enjoyed but like i felt like i didn't uncover much about the mystery whereas if you play as like a full-on logic and visual calculus and um sherlock type detective then it is that's the best you'll get the best detective experience out of it if you play that yeah. that character but it's also worth still playing as like a uh, an unobservant thick muscle man who just punches everyone yeah. like, that's that's valid it's got a, a, a good um it's a good sidekick dynamic with kim as well like that's a, a you know a great detective trope the kind of you know he's the like the lewis to your morse yeah. or whatever oh yeah i need to i haven't played the final cut I've, 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 i need to go back to it actually that's um talking about it has yeah it's inspired me to do that it's great the, the final cut they the voice all the voices in your head so all that narration and when you your various facets of your brain are arguing or talking over each other like they voiced all that and they got they got this actor called lenville brown who's a um reggae musician who's never acted before and he played that character and i interviewed him on pc gamer actually because i was so taken by his performance like he mm. really i felt like i absorbed so much more of the because i wasn't you know when you're reading these vast walls of text i have a tendency to skip uh, skim because i want to get to the next thing whereas i sat and just listened to it all being spoken to me by this uh, guy's amazingly like deep sort of musical voice and it really sunk Ooh. in a lot more so like i think if you play final cut um it, it feels like a quite a different experience i say i'm not even sure i even thought of this as a detective game to be honest like um i thought oh it's that game where you're the gross cop going around doing um <laughs> Uh, trying to find your clothes and then just like getting into kind of random adventures i never really thought of it as a mystery game so it's um, I mean, it is that too <laughs> yeah. yeah it just depends on how much you want to lean into the mystery based on how you build your character and it's great that it's got that freedom like you you can just be you can fully just become a you know drug devouring party animal who just loves seeing the weirdest things possible to people or you can go straight edge and go logical and like play it like a buttoned up straight detective mm, nice. yeah i feel like they want you to go wild but they've accidentally made an incredibly compelling like game to play completely straight yeah ah oh, great stuff um yeah i feel like with you andy there was no chance that first playthrough you being a big david lynch fan there was no way you were going to throw loads <laughs> of points into inland empire exactly as soon as i saw that name i was like that's where all my skill points are going <laughs> <laughs> great stuff uh, so what's your number two matthew uh i've uh, picked dangan romper one for this which is quite like Ace Attorney. I don't have either of you played Danganronpa. Yeah, I've played the first one. I, I loved it actually. I it's, have not. Okay, so it, it, it's it's very like Ace Attorney. It's kind of Ace Attorney meets sort of sort of Persona in a way because there's there's like crimes and mysteries, and then there's like a social element in between, which I'm not like massively bothered about that stuff. But the actual crimes are 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 brilliant. Like the 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 actual construction of the murders. I think is probably the best crime construction in a game that I've played. And it, again, this leans super heavy into like my tastes of, of Japanese detective fiction. Um, but they are really balmy, weird cases where people have, you know, contrived these sort of impossible murders. Um, Cause the whole, the whole kind of hook of Danganronpa is you've got all these kids locked in a school and um, the only way you can escape is to kill a fellow classmate and then be found not guilty in the trial so it's not just a case of killing someone all the murders then have to also point towards someone else and sort of frame someone else so they're quite kind of like far out and then also into the mix every single student is kind of a this is a school for gifted students they're all ultimate something the ultimate gymnast the ultimate 
computer hacker or whatever. So they've all got these quite interesting skills which also come into play, which can put these further twists. And it sounds really daft, and it is it is dumb and and and, and really mad. But the um, I love the cases in this. I think I think all through the series one to three, uh, that they sort of escalated in brilliance. It's a bit much. That's the only thing. Like the game around it is like it's pretty hectic, and the trials themselves they're like ace attorney times like a hundred in terms of madness because it's instead of just like presenting evidence everything is uh is like a bullet and you sort of shoot truth bullets at the at the contradictory statements and it's almost got like an arcade element in that you actually have to like line up the sights and shoot these statements as they fly across the screen which i think some people find a bit much like i think it would probably work without all that hectic jazz on top um, it's a lot of like, st- st- I mean, there's substance, but there's like style that gets in the way of it as well. It's got these duff mini games where you like surf down like the logic highway and things and sort of jump over gaps to reach conclusions. But I, I actually think the the combination of the, the case ingenuity and how they construct some of the some of the trial sections, it just means that you actually, I think you reach conclusions at the same time as the characters do in the game in this quite neat way. I really, really like that about it. I think it's 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 that kind of the drama of Ace Attorney, but with with slightly better murder mysteries. Yeah, Andy, I remember you reviewing this when I was editing Piece of Gamer. Actually, what was your? Um, I maybe think you gave it like ninety percent or something. How, what did you make of it? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I maybe gave it high eighties, like eighty-seven or something. I can't remember, but yeah, it, it came to PC finally after. Uh, quite a long while have not been available and i think two and three are on there now um but yeah I, I um yeah i think that in terms of constructing a mystery that immediately grabs hold of you and you want to know what the hell's going on like it's great at that and the i found the i got weirdly in, um connected to the characters to the point when they started dying like i got quite a like i got quite distressed when like because they're so the, the ridiculous caricatures and mm. anime as hell, but they're like so vividly painted. Like I, I got like when they died, I felt an actual pang of like, damn, that sucks. So like that really, yeah. The investment there was like a lot stronger than I thought. But you look at the artwork and think, I'm not going to get invested in these characters, but I really did. Yeah, I think because you can, you know, you can spend one trial basically trying to prove that you know someone who looks guilty is innocent and then they might be the guilty one in the next trial and that's actually quite a good twist because you know not a twist it's it's quite a good sort of a sort of emotional blackmail in a way because you get super attached to the people you've saved in previous trials so when they do turn out to be shitbags it's like a quite a big betrayal and you are sort of like weirdly invested yeah i i i i really rate this series i think this is um i think this is like re- really you know if you can get past some of the some of the loopier aspects, it's 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 really well done. And you don't like at the start, you think any of these characters could make it through to the end. Like they're all quite interesting. Like it kills off so many interesting characters just in the course of the story, um, but still sort of delivers by the end. Danganronpa, it's good stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great shout. Uh, so, what's your number two then, Andy? Uh, number two is Sherlock Holmes: Crimes and Punishments. So what is it that the other games don't do so well that um, this one just seems to kind of perfect? Well, I think um, as someone who is into, as I've said a few times now, like games that create a sense of place, but also likes a a nice uh, deep detective system, this does both really well. So like it's the period setting is like, 
are really atmospheric and like considering it's a medium low to medium budget game like it's really beautifully presented um there's lots of nice like low-key environments like one uh, case is just set entirely in like a small train station somewhere in yorkshire you know the whole case takes place between like two or three stations in a small area um so it's really good at that and one takes place in like a roman bath uh one takes place in a like botanic gardens um it's all like very old school uh detective stuff like itv drama vibe like quite uh, mm. muted but um as well as that the actual detective systems where you can you there's a simulation of sherlock's mind palace which is a ridiculous term um but where you the clues you find you have to like drag neurons between them to draw conclusions um and the more clues you find the more you can sort of justify making a conclusion and that would that would lead to another uh conclusion and eventually you reach the end of the case but it's the game lets you piece the clues together that make conclusions that are wrong which um can result in you ultimately accusing the wrong person um and that i think is what the core of like what makes this interesting and it's definitely not the mini games and puzzles which are terrible but they let you skip them <laughs> and i advise skipping them every time they suck what kind of stuff they have you doing at those mini games oh they're like uh, like i'm trying to think that there's like there's, lots of chemical a... mixing and yeah turning there's like one set in like a tomb raidery style like underground temple or something where it's lots of there's... yeah it's Awful. got a really infamous mini game where Sherlock Holmes rotates a stink cloud to make a picture so he can basically identify a scent, <laughs> but the picture is always this. That's really on the nose. Yeah, like this one where he basically uh, <laughs> he spins his he spins his stink cloud and it makes a picture of a swam, of a sombrero, <laughs> and it allows him to work out that like. A Mexican guy's been in the room, which is just like wild. Yeah, the, the, those bits are terrible. Like any any time it tries to simulate Sherlock's brain doing its Sherlock thing is terrible. But when you're just walking around these really atmospheric environments, talking to like yeah. weirdly amazing looking character models, and there's like you do the Sherlock thing of like zooming in on them and like looking at like oh, there's a, a butter stain on his. Um, on his wrist, that means he's been eating crumpets, you know, like that, the ridiculous <laughs> building a psych profile based on, like, random clues, or like, oh, his his, um, his hands are calloused, he's a working man, all that ridiculous stuff, but, like, it's really, that stuff's fun, but it's, yeah, when it starts making you do these mini-games, but it, it's telling that there's always an option to just skip them. <laughs> what about you, Matthew? Did you get into this series at all? Yeah, I, I did. I, I think some of the sillier elements of it kind of hamper it a bit for me but I, I i agree with andy the actual the core like deduction system and the fact that you can accuse multiple people and the you know the kind of mystery allows you to logic your way to multiple conclusions but there is a right answer and there's like always a you, you always have to sort of think about it a bit more to kind of get to that right answer i i it's like quite a rare what feels like a slightly more bigger budget crime game that has has actually tried to like think about the art of deduction and how to represent it in its systems, which I, I really think should be celebrated. And it and it like it has returned in the other games. And even though the ones uh, the, like the Devil's Daughter that came afterwards was was a bit ropier, I think, but it still has this core thing, which I think is a a good system. And it means like uh, you know I'm I'm sort of secretly quite excited for the next one. <laughs> like I'm, I'm interested to see what Frogwares do with these games because. 
you know, there's there's good ideas in it. The, the, my only concern is that they keep making Sherlock and Watson hotter and younger when I want them to look <laughs> yeah. like stuffy old guys. Like in Crimes and Punishments, they're like full-on classic deer stalker, mustachioed yeah. Watson. Like that, that feels right to me. I don't want it to be like some guy in a, a tailored suit you know, with a nice haircut. That's, that's, I don't he know. Looked, he looked like John Hamm in <laughs> Devil's Daughter. To the famously. point where they definitely just used a picture of John Hamm as, to, yeah. as reference, like uncanny. <laughs> I feel like the problem was, it's the Sherlock Holmes films with Robert Downey Jr. came out like in between or around the time. And I think that tempted them to try and make mm. it like sexy Holmes. Because the next one, he's even young. He's like a teen. He's like a yeah, isn't it's like, it like Holmes Year Zero or something. Yeah, just I, I feel like that stuff maybe could get in the way of the mysteries. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I like like I, I think I mentioned already. It has that ITV drama vibe, and I think Crimes and Punishments has that like stuffy old old timey feel that I really like. I, I don't want it to yeah. be too slick and and fancy. I've always thought of it as a bit of a guilty pleasure, but I, I am a I am a big fan of this one. Hmm. So you've reached your number one then, Matthew. Um, I wonder if you've got the same number one. What's yours? Uh, my number one is Return of the Obra Dinn. Andy, is that not your number one? No. Oh, <gasps> good stuff. Well, I was kind of hoping that would be the case. I'm really hoping. I, I feel like I've got a feeling what Andy's number one is, but I just want to, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we'll see. But, um, yeah, Matthew, so this is kind of um, considered like the ultimate detective game by a lot of people. So I don't think it's that surprising a choice for you, but um, why did this have to be top of your list? Yeah, for me, this is this is the one detective game that has really nailed the sensation of like of of being in a in a dense crime scene or a scene that's so dense with information and having to like pass it and make you know deductions based on it and not just any deductions but heaps of the thing because you're trying to work out what killed every individual member of crew. Um, so it's just like like mysteries per square inch which is a very unsophisticated way of thinking about this game is like incredibly high you know it's quite a tight space but it's absolutely packed with stuff um i just love how it's just a game about dealing with an immense amount of information like visual information of what you can actually see on this boat um, if you've not played it, you can basically sort of you're on this you're on this boat where everyone's all the crews disappeared. You're trying to work out what's going on, what's happened to all of them, and you can kind of flash back to sort of moments in history and sort of like still moments in history, and you have to deduce from like little bits of audio what you can see, information in like the crew ledger that you're given. This is the closest thing I've played to the process you go through of reading a mystery novel where you've got all the clues and you start piecing it together, except it had systems in place that allowed you to kind of uh, express that. So you basically enter kind of like who someone is and how they died. And um, you, you have to you have to sort of put this in for several people at once. And, you know, you can't just keep testing like random selections. You have to test them in kind of clumps. So which is the way it kind of make sure you're not just trying to game it by just you know putting the same thing in just thumbing your way through the menus so it's quite hard to explain out loud so i, I hope that doesn't sound massively confusing but the simple version is it's it's a really dense mystery to unpick and it has the mechanics to allow you to input those solutions and test them which is really all you need in a detective game i feel and i just i just thought this tested so many different bits of my brain in terms of you know there was the there's like logical deduction of 
well, if this character's here and, you know, he's saying this, you know, who would speak to this, you know, he's speaking to this other character. So that means I learn the other character's name and then I can use that to work out which bunk he's in. And I can check out his bunk in another bit of time. Like trying to pick, unpick any one strand of this game is kind of impossible verbally. Like it's so dense. I have no idea how um, it's Lucas Pope. It's the Papers, Please guy. How the hell he held all this together and like this ship, which kind of in a similar way actually to uh, weirdly Paradise Killer how that has all these clues listed across the city and, and the order you find them in can change your perception here like the order you tackle the ship and the you know what you spot and which route you follow the way it doesn't just unravel everything at once is uh, mind-bogglingly clever I'm just waiting for the day that I forget enough of this game that I can replay it because when I played it I was it absolutely blew me away I mean I, I this is like legitimately in my top five games of all time, I think. Mm. Just for like, it's the only game which has really given me the magic and made me feel like a detective. It's just stunning. I absolutely love this game. I'm abs- I cannot wait to see what Andy's picked as his number one. <laughs> I feel like I know, but um, Andy, before we get to that, what um, I feel like this is a game that you would also like. How come it didn't quite make your list? Yeah, I, I reviewed it for PC Gamer and gave it ninety percent. I think. Like, I, I think it's everything. Uh, yeah, like I agree with everything about the way it makes you feel alternately incredibly dumb than incredibly smart and the way it really tests your like observation skills. Like I think it like it, it if I had to place it it'd probably be like just outside my top five. I think the only reason is I just felt too dumb sometimes. I, I felt I spent more time frustrated wandering around the ship not been able to quite latch on to the next key piece of information more than I did feeling like a, a brain genius so that's the only reason mm. like i really love the the um i love any story set uh at sea so i love the whole nautical vibe um but yeah just that i think that the the feeling i don't i look back on it with a lot of frustration uh, as as much as there is admiration but that's the only reason it didn't quite scrape the uh the top five mm. yeah like you say uh matthew it's a hard one to break down in uh audio i sort of i played about an hour and a half of it, and I felt like it was it was like playing Guess Who in interactive dioramas. Um, right, yeah, that's... I, I reviewed I reviewed this one, and I'm 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 quite pleased with my review. Like I I felt like I actually managed to kind of get my head around it eventually. But I like when I've told people about it, or I've tried to recommend people to I I always come unstuck because you know there's you know you just try and pass a load of information on a boat. Um, there's also some like horrendous, like weird supernatural stuff on this, which normally wouldn't land for me, but actually kind of like the the history of the boat is wild, and that's that is part of the fun. It's, it's a good horror like, game as well. Yeah, I mean they have a horrible time on this boat. <laughs> I mean it really puts you off any kind of sea travel. But yeah, I I yeah I, I love this game, and I I really you know I hope someone else makes something like it because. It's kind of spoiled a lot of other detective-y things for me, I think. Mm. Oh, great stuff. Well then, Andy, what's your number one? Uh, number one is Ellie Noir. Yes! I thought oh. it would be. I thought it would be. Um, I'm very proud of you, Andy, because I feel like this is a game that I've seen um, so many of our peers sort of dunk on, but what's the kind of magic of Ellie Noir for you? Yeah, well, it's a it's a very long game. Like With all the DLC cases, you're looking at like 40 to 50 hours, and I've finished it four times. Once on PS3, twice on PC, and once on Switch, actually. And when I was on holiday in Devon, I was ignoring the beach to pretend I was in LA looking at murder <laughs> scenes. 
um yeah like it again just comes back to that feeling of place and time and being personally into the period you can tell team bond i like were as obsessed with that period as me it's full of references to not just you know big hallmarks of noir and and uh, 40s detective fiction but loads of deep cuts and references that like let you know that they really know their stuff and like the rec the, the replica of la in that time period is so like technically it's not great because even at the time it was quite um technically inferior to like gta and stuff not quite as polished but like the mood and the just the colors and the music the sort of period music drifting out of cars as they go past and all that like this full-on it's, it's a game world i get completely lost in whenever i play it and i, I just play it as like time travel you know it's like to exist in that completely different place um but on top of all that just i think it's not like in terms of a detective game i don't think it's great um in terms of systems um there's a there's like a handful of moments where you can have a slightly different outcome but it's basically all prescribed um there's a few clues you can miss that give you like a better ranking at the end but really it's just a linear um story game basically but that but the but the mysteries themselves are like really a lot of them are really well constructed I think with like really good payoffs and it has a kind of episodic feel as well like an almost an anthology feel where there's a running story but like every case um, is like a different slice of life from the period um, so you you know deal with different uh, businesses and people from all different walks of life and that just gives you a really nice picture of like the period just I, I really like it's full of great actors like ev- so many uh, madman actors which is great but also just <laughs> loads of uh, character actors that you see in like that you you go i know that face you, you're constantly going i know that face and it's great that they just brought all these like jobbing character actors in to the studio stuck them in that ridiculous face rig and just got them to like act their asses <laughs> off and it, i think in, in terms of like maturity and like a, a feel of like teeth like you know feel of t- like proper tv drama like it, it the whole mood of it is just like just perfect for me like not perfect i love it i want to want to replay mm. it again just talking about it mm. our switch version's I, great as well i've played that handheld version it's, like, it's amazing it runs yeah like on the switch light just having ellie noir like in on a handheld is, is it's all right is it huh Mm. Yeah, it, it, it runs really well. Like, it's you don't get the same frame rate you do with the PC version, obviously. No, no, no. But like, yeah, it's it feels like playing the um, original PS3 and 360 yeah, versions it on does, a handheld, and, it, and it's enhanced slightly. They've done some, um, they've added some like new lighting and, and shadows and some like visual enhancements, so it actually looks better than it did on PS3. They've added a case where Wario has murdered someone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd love that. I'm really curious because Matthew, I feel like I could guess your take on this, which is that you don't. I mean, I actually agree with Andy that it's not a great detective game in terms of mechanics, but submerges you in its sense of place like so completely that it yeah. just has such a magic to it. What's your take on this one? Yeah, I, I no, I, I do love it. I it was it's again, it's 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 hovering just outside of my top five. Um, you know, it feels like a playable Elroy novel. I this is the thing I, I mentioned earlier, like. The sense of like driving up and walking into the crime scenes, it, it you know, it feels so sort of uh, I don't know, like naughty. You're <laughs> not meant to be there, but it's it's really cool with all, everyone like gawking and I, you know, the actual theatricality of the of the crime scenes and how many they are and how different they all are is really exciting. I think my only problem with Alien Noir is I think um, I think it kind of peaks 
in in homicide which is obviously like the middle of the game and then it's vice and arson i i, I think ending on the arson department is a is kind of a mistake for me and it, it i kind of get it like it's part of the the overall character's story and, and like what happens to him but you get such juicy stuff with with the kind of sort of Black Dahlia esque stuff in in the middle that it kind of I don't know peaks a little early for me. That's my only that's my only beef. What do you think about Andy in terms of the peak of the game? That's a criticism that gets levelled at Eleanor quite a lot. Yeah, I think that the homicide de- the homicide uh, desk is actually my least favourite because I think without, oh. without spoiling it, like some of the individual moments are great, but without spoiling anything, it, it kind of. At the end, it tries to be clever and pull the rug out from under you a bit, and it doesn't fully pay off for me. Um, but there, there is a, a cool case where you are. It ties right into the Black Dahlia, the real case, and that's quite cool mm. to like feel like you're playing a role in that that famous, um, famous and horrible case. But um, yeah, I think I, I really love Vice. I wanted to spend more time there. Like I love seeing the uh, cruising around with that Roy Earl. Uh, oh, he, he is good. Yeah, he's, he's, he's such a brilliant asshole, and I loved like hanging out in him and his, driving around in his Cadillac and like roughing up like drug dealers <laughs> and stuff. I just wanted more of that like seedy underbelly stuff. So yeah, and I, I really like the the bit when you uh, switch roles to um, the insurance uh, investigator guy. That was like insurance investigator was such a, an, a noir archetype. I like that kind of change of scenery when you're playing as Jack Kelso for for a, a, mm. a couple of hours. Mm. Yeah, I I actually I haven't I haven't replayed it since I played I played it on 360. So I, I you know I think it's been enough time that I've forgotten this. I need to go back. I just remember the end of the game being a lot of like looking at exploding ovens and things. <laughs> I quite like that as a conspiracy to unravel as a player. Like I found it quite sinister and how um, John Noble's character plays into it. I actually liked how it connected the dots in those bits. Mm. Um, but you know I yeah I, I take I, your point. I, so some of that's hazy memory on my part, I think. Yeah, the conspiracy stuff—it's very much a riff on um, uh, Chinatown, where the mm. uh, where the in Chinatown it's the water company um, that's corrupt, and this that's um, uh, people building homes for returning GIs from the war, and like I really like that building a mystery around real history, and like there's a few moments mm. where you where Cole Phelps is. Uh, job sort of drifts into real moments in, in early history when as a bit of a, a sort of semi buff of that era that's very cool mm. to see but i can imagine like anyone who's not fully into that period not getting as much out of it as me so mm. i might be slightly skewed in that sense mm. this is so obvious as your number one choice now i don't know why i didn't say <laughs> i'm obviously not a very good detective it's like a <laughs> It's like a good game to play if you've been listening to uh, the you rem- you must remember this podcast. Oh, like yeah. um yeah, they kind of go hand in hand I think. Um <laughs> yeah, some of the DLC cases are cool too. Like not all of them are great, but like this one that I think has all of your different psychics come into the the story and I remember that one being quite good. Um yeah, might be that's the Naked City. Yeah. yeah. No, this one cool. where a, a factory blows up and like turns a city block into like a sort of pile of rubble and you've got to sort of pick through it and find out what happened that's on the arson desk actually it's a, a dlc case mm. making you're making a strong case for the arson desk yeah <laughs> no i love this game what an absolute like it's there'll never be anything else like this again no, it feels like no. it's such a an odd thing for rockstar to bankroll but um yeah yeah okay well great stuff um we've uh well we've reached the two hour mark good stuff well um 
yeah, it was great hearing your suggestions there, Andy. I think Elena is a, a fantastic pick. I really love that game, despite I know everyone makes the same joke about doubt in that game, but um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so yeah, uh, where can people find you on social media, Andy? I'm sure most of the people listening to us follow you already, but um, where can people catch you? Yeah, I'm at Ultra Brilliant on Twitter. Cool, and uh, people can read your work on PC Gamer, right? Is there anything else you're working on at the moment that's um, worth highlighting? Yeah, not not really. I'm in that I'm in the between between projects phase at the moment. So yeah, all my creative energy has gone into PCGamer.com at the moment. Mm. Well, good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really appreciate your time. And uh, Matthew, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. We're uh, at BackpagePod on Twitter. If you want to email us, uh, send us some longer thoughts. We're BackpageGames at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll be back next Friday with another episode. Thank you. Bye-bye.